0: Well, they say that fans can be fickle, but this gospel takes it to a whole nother level. So let's recap. Last week we heard the beginning of what this passage is depicting. Jesus goes to his home synagogue and he takes up the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he opens the scroll and he finds the passage that is all about the notes that will accompany the Messiah. You heard it last week, but real quick. Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring glad tidings to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives, recovery of sight to blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim a year acceptable to the Lord. And then everyone intently looks at him and he rolls up the scroll and he sits down and then he says, Today, this scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing. I'm the one. That's where this gospel picks up. What do we hear? All spoke highly of him. And were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. And then seven verses later, those same people hear Jesus say something else, and they are filled with fury. They rose up, drove him out of the town, led him to the brow of the hill on which their town had been built, to hurl him down headlong. Fans are fickle. What happened? Well, here's what happened Jesus' love, which is also his truth, which is the essence of his very being, collided with something, confronted something sinful humanity, and sparks flew. And my friends, If Jesus came to us at Carroll College, in person, in the flesh, don't think we'd be any better. Sparks would fly. People would be filled with fury. Look what happens. Anytime the truth of the church, which is Christ's truth is preached, about all the hot button issues, abortion, Marriage, immigration. People are filled with fury. You don't believe me? Look what happened in New York. There's people just going to pray in St. Patrick's Cathedral about the sanctity of life and the protection of it. And furious people outside, all on video, all for the world to see, because there's a confrontation. Light and dark don't mix. Jesus' grace and his love confronts brokenness and sin and sparks fly. What we've done is actually, I think we'd be worse than the people in the gospel today because there's something, I'll give you a a phrase here. This is a term that was coined in 2005. It's called moral therapeutic deism. And it's probably the religion of many, maybe most, I don't know, but many people in America. It comes from a sociologist, Christian Smith. And in 2005, he wrote a book called The Searching Soul. And in it, he interviewed 3,000 teenagers. And so the findings apply to teenagers in his study, but I think they apply to almost everybody in America. And this is what they found, that among believing teenagers, They didn't see faith in terms of what our true faith actually teaches, but they saw faith as basically consisting of this. It was about, quote, feeling good, happy, secure, at peace. Faith is about attaining subjective well-being, being able to resolve problems, and getting along amiably with other people. Okay, that's moral therapeutic deism. All right? And that's not just for teenagers. Lots of people, they think faith is about feeling good, happy, secure, and at peace, and about attaining subjective well-being. Truthfully, many of us have this perspective because it's kind of the air we breathe, this turn toward the self to make the feelings and the subjective experience of the self the thing that matters most. God's not really like that. And here's what happens in a culture that kind of subscribes to that as the religious perspective, then God becomes very undemanding. So he's kind of like a divine butler or like a cosmic therapist. So he's like a divine butler. So he comes when we call, we ring our little bell, and then he comes, and then he gives us what we ask, and then he leaves, until we ring the bell again. But he doesn't make any demands on us. Right? Or he's like a therapist. right? So we want him to professionally help us feel better about ourselves. But not to become too personally involved in the process. My friends, that is not Jesus Christ. That is not the God who's revealed in the scriptures. That is not the word made flesh at all. Jesus never portrays himself that way. So stepping away from sociology, I'll give you a, a different take on this. Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis. Do you remember, do you guys know that? You've read it, okay? Do you know the, I love Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, right? And they're, they're coaching up Lucy because Lucy's heard of Aslan, but she's a little scared of him. And so here we go. Lucy says to Mrs. Beaver, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, Mr. Beaver said. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Jesus isn't safe, my friends but he's good. I think we'd like to think that whenever God comes to us with his love, we just would respond with grateful acceptance, just rejoice in it. And maybe we do on some level. But friends, at some point, that very love of Jesus, which is also his truth, crashes up and collides against our sinful resistance to love. And things have to be dealt with. Because Jesus didn't come just to be nice to us. He came to save us. And saving sinners costs. It costs. That's why we have Jesus on the cross in our churches. Because we need to be reminded that it costs him to save us. And he's more than willing to pay that price. Because here's the very good news. That our rejection of God, which is true for every single one of us, me included, maybe first and foremost, that very rejection leads to our salvation. It opens the path for God. Because God takes our no and he meets it, with his ever greater yes, and his yes is ever greater. Any no that we make to God, he meets with an ever greater yes. So no one here could say, my sins are too big for God. His yes is always bigger. That's why we're such people of hope. That's why it's okay to acknowledge our sins, to be real with God, because his love is deeper than our sins, and it's more real. So how do we learn to say yes to that love? Well, we have to be formed in it. That's our second reading tonight. The Great Hymn of Love from 1 Corinthians. And here's a demanding litmus test if you want to know what love is really all about. It has nothing to do with feelings. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. It is not pompous. It is not inflated. It is not rude. It does not seek its own interests. It is not quick-tempered. It does not brood over injury. It does not rejoice over wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes All things endures all things. Love never fails. That's a wonderful litany. People pick it at their weddings all the time. But it's hard. Dostoevsky, he said, love in action is a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love in dreams. We have a culture that loves to speculate about love in dreams, but fails in action. Jesus doesn't though. And he doesn't want us to either. And so here's the message. How do we love really? Quite simply, we have to grow up. We have to grow up. St. Paul. One season I was a child. Spoke as a child, thought as a child, reasoned as a child. But then I became a man and I put aside childish things. That is good news for you and for me. We are meant to be men and women who are strong in faith, who can actually love not just speculate about it, not just dream about it, who are substantial and sacrificial, who are courageous and kind in all the right ways. And for that, we have to put aside childish ways and learn from the real man, Jesus Christ, the new man, the new Adam, He wants to form you and me to be men and women like him who can love like him and will always be childlike but will never be childish. And this culture is childish. And so let's have a different move of the heart to be childlike in trust and strong in faith. Mature in love. When we come to Jesus tonight, he will love us. And he will challenge us. Because he loves us. Don't ever interpret a challenge from God as anything but loving. He will love us and he will challenge us. I've said it before. I'll say it again. He loves us right where we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay there. Thank God for that.